Bidzy's Small Business Society, number 138. You're listening to Bidzy's Small Business Society. I'm Rob Beresoff. We talk to small business owners about what makes their small business successful. Connect with Bidzy's Small Business Society at bidzy.com and grow your business. Bidzy.com is the website that connects customers and respected local businesses. Customers post projects for free in any of over 100 categories, including all types of home renovation, landscaping, cleaning services, photography, and many, many more. Now, if you're a business, Bidzy.com is a great way to find new customers because you are automatically notified each time a customer posts a project in your subscribed categories. So for example, let's say you own a roofing company and a customer posts a project in our roofing category. You are automatically notified via email or text and you can submit a bid at bidzy.com or use our internal chat system to introduce yourself to the customer and give them reasons why they should use you to complete their project. Monthly subscriptions start at $14.99. That's $14.99 per month for unlimited access to new customers and unlimited bidding at bidzy.com. Email rob at bidzy.com for more details or start your 30-day free trial now at bidzy.com. Welcome everyone to another episode of Bidzy Small Business Society. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different in that I'll be, for the very first time ever, steering away from the traditional interview framework that you've come to expect on the show. And there's a reason for that. I had a brief call earlier today with my guest, and his story is so compelling that I felt that any interruption with seemingly mundane questions might disrupt the process of really sharing his thoughts and ideas with you in the most meaningful way. Not that I feel that the questions I have for my guests aren't worthy of being asked. I feel like they generally extract the value that's intended, but I digress. My guest today, Patrick Dees, has had an enviable journey from truly meteoric growth in wireless retail to an eight-figure round of VC funding for one of his companies to owning a football team and virtually everywhere in between. Again, due to the intriguing and compelling nature of his story, this episode is going to play more like a monologue, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I think you will. Welcome, Patrick Dees. Glad you took the time today, Patrick. Oh, absolute pleasure to be here. I think that was quite an introduction. I'm worried about this monologue, but terribly <laughs> excited to be here. I know we've been trying to make it happen for some time, so uh, like a fan of the show, so it's exciting to be on a show that I listen to on the regular. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, it took some time to put together, but I'm so glad that we're having this conversation today. So, man, let's dive right in. Who is Patrick Dees? Well, you know, right now I'm one of the co-founders of right now, as, as a lot of people on, on your show tend to be, um, serial entrepreneur, wear a lot of hats. Uh, right now, um, right, I am one of the co-founders of what we call Project Franchise, which is a completely fan-run football team. Uh, we own a team in the IFL, um, and the idea is that it's completely fan-run from the ground up. So fans choosing logo, mascot, colors, uh, even to calling plays in real time. Uh, that's what I'm engaged in, uh, you know, kind of on a day to day right now. But um, like uh, like a lot of people on your show, serial entrepreneur touched a lot of things uh, over the years. Like I said in the intro, Patrick, this is a compelling story with a ton of interesting detail. I don't want to take anything away with any narrative. So give it to us, man. Take us back to the beginning and walk us through your journey. Yeah, I mean, I know you kind of teed it off a little bit uh, as as a monologue, so I'll happily uh, start start from the beginning and kind of go uh, catch you up to 
uh, how we got there. So, um, so I think uh, years ago, I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, um, always been a, a sales minded kind of guy. I was totally intoxicated. I remember the first time I saw a, a salesman was, I think I was telling you the story earlier. Uh, I had a door to door salesman showed up at my parents' house, uh, selling Kirby vacuum cleaners. My parents didn't know him from anybody. Um, and were entranced. So the guy not only, and my parents are like smart, capable, accomplished individuals who, you know, for lack of a better word, you would think that they would like get approached by a door to door salesperson and they would turn right away. Somehow, I uh, not only managed to get inside the house, sell them a $3,000 vacuum cleaner, but get a list of referrals uh, of friends and family that he could then call on uh, to, uh, for, for his next, uh, you know, his, his next prospect list. And I was intoxicated by this guy. Like I couldn't even, I didn't even care about the purchase. I just watched this man, uh, spell my parents. I thought like as a bit of a juvenile delinquent, I thought maybe I could pick up some tips on how to like, I don't know, get away with more around the house. But I literally chased this guy out of the house and I said, Hey, listen, uh, I desperately, uh, want to work with you. I'm Patrick. And he said, Hey, I'm Mike. Uh, I want to do what you do. And so he very much took me under his wing, uh, taught me a little bit about how to be uh, a door to door salesman and made outstanding money kind of uh, selling $3,000 vacuums, uh, as a 15, 16 year old. Uh, I grew up, um, very Mormon. So I, uh, I did the, the Mormon missionary thing. So at the ripe age of 19, uh, I served two years in Medi the Mexico, um, out talking a little bit about, um, you know, the, about Jesus Christ and his plan for us. And one of the things that I learned, it was tremendous experience, right? Like, um, uh, in the sense that say what you want about organized religion and I can say plenty, but the one thing that I walked away from the, the mission with would be um, a a sense of um, a sense of sticking to something and le- like learning the value of work and also self sufficiency. Uh, where I was, we weren't permitted to email home. You could call home twice a year, and I was out there, a six foot four redhead uh, with not a word of Spanish. I le- I did go with one phrase. I knew how. Um, no tengo toquediscos, which means in Spanish, I don't have a record player. So I was ready. <laughs> if somebody asked me if I had a record player, I was locked and loaded to <laughs> definitively tell you, no, I do not have a record player. But um, they just kind of throw you out uh, there. And it was, um, you know, for two years, I slept in a hammock because uh, Medi is very hot. Um, and people all sleep there. And just in little tiny um, in hammocks and just all in little tiny towns across Mexico for a couple of years. And I really learned, um, and not to, to sound base, but if you can sell God, you can sell almost anything. And I came home pretty ready, still remembering my you know, door-to-door experience. And I had come home, and I was, I was in this town, this little, um, what's the word in English? Atrasado, like very like third world you know, town. And my brother picked me up from the airport. And like my brother had two cell phones on his hip. Uh, back when it was a little bit more cool to wear a phone on your hip, but you know, he had a Nokia <laughs> on one hip. And, uh, and, uh, I don't know, like an old, like micro tack or something. And he picked me up and I was amazed because I had just left a town where there was only one phone in the whole town. Um, and he picked me up on a Wednesday. Um, he got me an interview with this guy that, uh, had a few stores in Tucson, Arizona. Um, on, on, uh, Thursday, I started on Friday and was off to the races, kind of making commissions as, you know, the wireless retail executive. Um, and what just, you know, um, from the very beginning, I'd kind of wanted to be involved from an ownership perspective. So after being kind of learning the ropes, understanding the business a little bit, um, approached the owner and wanted to be, you know, in a leadership capacity and also in an ownership capacity. And we work out, we worked out a common stock agreement in which I offset some of my commission to become a partner in the business. And we just grew. I Googled how to negotiate commercial leases and I went out and negotiated several leases across the, across, uh, Tucson and Sierra Vista and Yuma and a couple other places. And 
we do about 28 locations. Um, and one of the things that I really like about your podcast is the, the complete transparency. So I had gotten uh, married at a very young age, thanks to, you know, kind of the, the, the Mormon way to do things. Um, I, you know, was 21, I married a 19 year old by 23, I was divorced, um, and really kind of needed, um, space away from Tucson, but also, you know, my partner in Tucson wasn't committed to growing anymore. Uh, had about all the exposure that he wanted. Um, and admittedly we were super saturated in the area. So I went up to Phoenix, um, found a business partner who's very operationally minded. I'd met him in Tucson. I put $30,000 worth of phones on a credit card and started selling all telephones in malls. Uh, started at the, the Mills Mall, a company called Talk About Wireless. Uh, just started slanging phones uh, from a <laughs> You're speaking my language, man. I'm, I did that grind for a long time. <laughs> I bet you did, right? So you know uh, like how and, – and it's great money and it was like the time was right, right place, right time. Like Altel was kind of committed to growing. We were young and dumb and kind of committed to going anywhere they needed distribution. Lots of lessons uh, learned along the way. We got up to about 62 uh, points of distribution. At the time, we were the country's largest Altel agent um, in a matter of – I mean, I want to say 18 months, but maybe 24 months. Uh, I mean, we grew fast. We were everywhere um, and um, selling well, a lot of lessons learned. Um, and we, during the course of it, you know, we were earning cooperative advertising funds. People don't know when you sell a cell phone, you also earn a little bit of money. Uh, they're able to spend in a way that brands you as a business and also the carrier. So you accrue these funds. So we started this company and, and decided, hey, we should probably, if we're going to pay those out to somebody, it should be back to us. So we started another company that was a fabrication company and started um, selling ourselves kiosks and using that money that we'd uh, accrued. Um, and so had built a, a kind of side business um, in, in Arizona. Um, but again, my partner fell in love with that model, right? So it's buying something for 50 cents, selling it for a dollar is diametrically different than you know, as you know, the, the, the wireless game, right? You buy subsidized handsets and then you're, there's tons of exposure and you paid a commission down the road and it's infinitely more complex model. And, um, decided that, um, he was getting, he wanted to focus on that and we'd shopped the business. We'd actually looked at maybe flipping it to sprint as some, uh, you know, uh, it's tough in wireless. You're completely beholden to, to one carrier, right? If you're going to make any money, uh, when I got my start, we were this multi-carrier dealer, can't, you can't do that anymore. It's, it's an exclusive or nothing, really. So we're completely beholden to Altel. Um, didn't like some of their practices and explored the relationship with Sprint, but ultimately made the decision to, um, to, to leave. My partner took me out on a note. I moved to Southern California because I thought Hollywood was rad. Been dating a girl out here um, and decided was going to really just take a year off to figure out what I was going to do when I grew up. Um, you know, still fairly young. It's like 24, um, trying to figure out what I was going to do when I grew up took that year. I did, I took like three months of that year. I did Hollywood a little too aggressively. Uh, Riley, you probably have gotten into some trouble with me. Uh, it's really easy to do in Hollywood, uh, and, and, and need to be active. I'm a high energy guy and three months was as long as I could possibly take. Yeah. I was going to say maybe that type, type a alpha male can't keep them down for too long, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, and Hollywood's, it is the, especially coming from Southern Arizona, right? Uh, you being in a Saskatchewan, a smaller town, the, when you get an opportunity to be, it feels like, again, the entertainment capital of the world when you get to some of these cities. And I know that sounds ridiculous because Tucson's not a small town and Phoenix is a huge town, but there's nothing quite like, uh, you know, Southern California, Hollywood's kind of great. Um, but bought a place that yeah, some romantic about there, it. There absolutely. is right. Um, so anyway, so after about three months, uh, thank God the, uh, sprint called after and, and said, Hey, got a guy that's got a decent amount of capital. He really wants to get into the distribution game. 
uh, we really were enamored with the model that you had spun up in a previous life. Are you interested? I said, you know, I, I could do that. Uh, you know, I was really at that point ready to do anything but wireless, but it was a great opportunity. Ended up meeting with a gentleman and decided, hey, we were off to the races. So uh, a couple of us put together a pitch in the business where we went to Sprint and it was just post Nextel merger, right? So there's a Sprint Nextel merger and they've got all these kind of stores that at one point were competing distribution now are cannibalizing their own activations. And we pitched them on, hey, you don't want to lose those activations, but you're also paying double up on the rent in a lot of areas. Let us take that off your hands. Keep the activations, get the rents off your books. And they totally agreed. So literally almost overnight, we went from zero stores to like 42 locations. Um, <laughs> also not highly recommended, but uh, it was, you know, it's, it's an opportunity you can't pass up. They totally agreed with it. We transitioned all those leases off their books, uh, took their fixtures and a lot of their people. And yeah, I mean, again, was back at that kind of same routine. Um, and not, it definitely has its rewards and had made a pretty good living kind of to this point doing it. Um, but during the course of, uh, of my time there, and that's one of the magic of your, your podcast is I love it when people talk about, you know, relationships and meeting people. And I've always been a big like culture guy. Um, and, and, and ran into another opportunity that like, um, I couldn't not explore. So we became a decent sized client for a young, young little startup called FlipSwap. So people may have heard of FlipSwap and certainly if you were yeah, in wireless. I'm familiar with it, yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, you definitely were. I think a client at one point. That's um, right, yep. So you know, FlipSwap like ostensibly is the Kelly Blue Book of cell phones. They built an algorithm that determines what your phone is worth on secondary markets all over the world. It gives you as a consumer like an incremental spending power at the point of sale. Uh, you trade in your phone for the purchase of something else in store. Uh, you know, obviously the, the retailer wins, the customer wins, everybody wins. And I was really enamored with this idea. Uh, I think at the time we approached them, uh, it wasn't an ideal fit. There were some like cosmetic things and we, uh, the cosmetic meaning grading, right? So one of the things that they'd done early on in, in their evolution of, uh, of the platform was asked retail representatives at a floor level to like grade a phone as a condition. And what we found was every, we just, everybody marked it five stars because you wanted to go out of your way for your customer. Like that's a five-star phone. And in reality, that greatly affected FlipSwap's ability to set, sell that on the secondary market. And consequently, they would charge us back. And so we were upside down on the program. But um, and we had a, an account manager uh, who, again, was one of those things that's just like those nights that you think, hey, uh, you know, if it'd gone a little bit different. Um, but he invited us out to go see the CTO, uh, was drumming out here in Hollywood at the, uh, he and his band, uh, were at the Viper room. And luckily enough, I didn't have anything going on. I was very committed to quitting their program at that point, but met a bunch of other young kind of entrepreneurs who were very much where I was in life. My partners, uh, in the, in the sprint business were, uh, quite a bit older, um, and amazing people, but, um, and one of them lived in a fiscal stratosphere that I may never understand, Rob. Um, but uh, so it's just kind of different worlds. And um, while it was uh, definitely it was a great opportunity for all of us, there was something kind of magic about this group of guys uh, from FlipSwap. And uh, and my account manager was uh, real lame and didn't make it another even two months with that company. But I became fast friends with the CEO and the founder of FlipSwap, and we started to hang out. Um, and you know, amazingly enough, I continue to be a client. And we'd start hanging out on the weekends trying to brainstorm and pitch each other ideas of other businesses that we'd start. Um, at the end of the day, uh, he said, Deez, look, I, I, this is ridiculous. Just come be part of what we're doing. Let's go raise some capital and blow this up and really scale it. 
So um, again, uh, my uh, my partner took me out of a note in the sprint business. Uh, joined uh, FlipSwap. They they brought me on as a as a as a good partner, and we went out and grew. We went out and raised uh, venture capital through two companies, NGen and RRE. Some VCs out of San Francisco. We raised fourteen point one million dollars. Wow! Wow, man. Guys that focused. Yeah, it was really exciting time, and it was it was crazy because right right around <laughs> right around uh, that financial collapse. It was just, it was. Uh, we were lucky that it happened, but some guys was, you know, this great intersection between green and tech. And that's right where we were. We were very focused on reducing e-waste. Uh, and we like for every phone that was a zero value that we couldn't do anything within secondary markets, we actually planted a tree. So this is really like, uh, the, the idea of helping reverse logistics, keeping e-waste out of landfills was, was really attractive to both NGen and RRE. Um, and so we went out and we raised 14 million and, and we scaled the business for years, um, after, for a couple of years after that, right as we were about in the middle of the raise, we were approached um, by David Edmondson. Now, David Edmondson is um, he's kind of a – I don't think he knows this, but I, I, Rob, have you ever had like a, a crush on somebody professionally like in business? Like I wanted to be him when I grew up, right? Like I'd met this guy and he was kind of magic. He had this like – he was like Mike, the vacuum cleaner guy. And um, Dave sat down and if you don't know Dave's story, he's the former CEO of Radio Shack. And this guy started as a clerk. Like hourly dude selling fuses to the CEO. Speaking that weird Radio Shackanese about skews and yeah, he um that is that guy and he became the CEO of Radio Shack for optics reasons. He was termed because he lied on his resume, said he graduated from college when he had not. So without any sort of education past high school, he became the CEO of Radio Shack at its apex when they were a force of nature. They are no longer there now, but uh. Dave uh, was in love with what we were doing. He let me early on saw kind of the idea, our, um, uh, loved what we were doing and said, hey, look, I think I can go sell Sprint. Radio Shack's got this really great relationship uh, with Sprint or did over the years. Um, they really put Sprint on the map back in the day. Dave was a big part of that. And so said, hey, um, can I license the technology? I'm going to start a company around that. And he pulled some incredible talent from all over the industry, started a company called E-Recycling. And we licensed our technology to E-Recycling. And he said in the end of the meeting, I'm going to come back in two years. I'm going to buy you. And we loved it. Uh, great. Thanks, Dave. I didn't doubt him. I certainly didn't think it would be like almost two years to the day. He went out and sold Sprint, scaled the business. And we had made a business uh, like on, on indirect distribution. But we were in the process of selling um, AT&T as well. And now it's just an industry thing. Like um, there are definitely um, – our platform still powers the AT&T uh, trading program. So you go in today uh, to an AT&T phone. You trade in your phone or the purchase of a new one. They're still using – our technology, but Dave came back and bought us a couple years later. Um, and, um, that entire time, one of the businesses we'd always talked about, this is we're bringing it full circle all the way back where we are here now, uh, was, so the guys there and I were all big sports guys and at core, we've all been big technology guys. And one of the things I think I was telling you this earlier today, like I am not a Cowboys fan, but what I found myself every week rooting for the Cowboys, like a crazy person on Sundays, because I knew my, my Mondays, <laughs> this, man, yeah. <laughs> my, my Mondays were going to be terrible if they lost, right? Like they were just all going to be in a terrible mood. Like nobody wanted to talk to anybody. Everybody was angry. Um, and so I found myself like, you know, I tell, I tell people I wasn't rooting for Cowboys. I was rooting for a decent Monday. Um, and the success of the business relies on how the Cowboys are doing. On scarily, <laughs> scarily enough, I didn't want to tie our future to Tony Romo, but we did. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we, um, I found myself rooting for the Cowboys day in day out, uh, and we started talking a little bit about just sports and technology in general, right? And how do we? And we, 
we kind of just said it anecdotally for years, like sports is underserved from a technology perspective. One day, one day, one day. So post-sale, we, um, uh, you know, started talking a little bit more about that. And like, wouldn't it be cool if fans had a voice, right? Like the, the thing about this is that like, these guys are all big Cowboys guys. Um, uh, they have no input into the Cowboys organization and the Cowboys aren't monetizing them year in and year out, right? They may be buy a hoodie or something, uh, every three or four years. So how could the Cowboys potentially take advantage of like this rabid fandom? And, and so, um, you know, as we went, we started looking for opportunities to kind of make that happen. And we ran into an opportunity, uh, in the AFL, the arena, the arena football league. Um, and we bought in aggressively to a team called the Las Vegas outlaws. They are no more, but we partnered with Vince Neal of Motley Crue. Um, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) Yeah, um, that several stories. I think that's a podcast in and of itself. So I'll have you on. Yeah, mine. <laughs> I was going to say if you care to get into some detail about that, man, feel free. <laughs> um, I, I mean, yeah, whatever. I've been transparent on the record about this guy several times, <laughs> but like, so yeah. So the idea of like owning a football team is was and is relatively intoxicating, and so we kind of jumped into it without maybe doing the due diligence that we should. Um, but at the end of the day, nothing really could have prepared us for uh, being partnered with a rock star and a um, just a substance abusing, <laughs> like blackout drunk by two in the afternoon every day type rock star. Um, and uh, well, a lot of lessons learned. So we bought this team thinking we were going to be able to uh, really launch this fan run team, right? Um, to be able to get this, like, you know, have. Uh, find new ways for fans to, to engage with. Uh, we had, again, from a technology perspective, we wanted dr- like drones in stadium and fans to be able to choose in real time, what angle they want to watch the game from, right. From all these different drone cams. We did in fact get drones off the ground, but, uh, the relationship with, with Vince and, <laughs> and his guys, uh, uh, deteriorated fairly quickly. And we weren't able to implement due just to, uh, you know, partnership stuff. Um, a lot of things that we wanted to do. Um, and then realized, you know, again, the takeaway there was we're never going to be able to do this unless we own the team outright. The AFL, uh, it didn't end up being, uh, the league for us in the sense that they're pretty football traditionalists. They talk about the sanctity of the game a lot, the integrity of the game. And so we, uh, went out and found a group called the IFL. And if you, I don't know if you're familiar with the indoor football league, been around the better part of 20 years, nine teams, every team's very healthy. And so we approached the, the commissioner, who's a young guy, uh, smart, really loved the concept of, hey, having fans truly run a team from the ground up and really have that ownership stake. Uh, and by ownership, I mean a voice, right? Not, um, not a Green Bay Packers scenario. They don't actually own the team, but they, we want them to make the decisions. They're the fans. When so it, quickly talk about that, Patrick. What do you mean make those decisions? Are you talking about day-to-day running of the team? Or are we talking about uh, creating logos? Or what, what are we talking about exactly? <laughs> Excellent question. And the answer is yes, all of that. So we very literally, so we, we, again, a little bit unorthodox, we had to, to acquire the rights to a team and then we had to go out and, and negotiate seven or eight, uh, lease agreement deals with, uh, with stadiums across the country because what we genuinely wanted to give our fans the right to choose where we play. So, uh, we had, um, we had a list of eight and we got down to four and then it was down to two and it was Oklahoma city and salt Lake salt Lake, um, had a last second push. And they uh, they ended up being the place we are playing in the 2017 season. We kick off in February. All right, um, congrats, man. Thank you, thank you. Um, and then it was it was incredible because like we went there, we had this press conference, and I spoke in front of like all the Salt Lake media, 
And I don't know if you heard this story, I don't know, uh, six, eight months ago, the, the UK, they had this um, $250 million research vessel and it was, um, and they, they did something similar where they crowdsourced a name for it. They were trying to like, Hey, write in a submission and people can vote on it. And of course it being the internet immediately, somebody wrote in with the name Bodie McBoatface. (laughs) So I, and it won, (laughs) of course. And then being the UK, uh, they, they completely went away from it. Right. They're like, um, no, and I don't remember what they ended up naming it, the Queen Victoria the 14th or some nonsense. But the fact is they like put it out for a vote and took it away. So in this press conference, I straight up referenced Bodie McBoatface. And I said, listen, if somebody votes Team McTeamface, we're going to name ourselves the Team McTeamfaces. <laughs> we're, we're, we're committed to that. Sure, sure enough, <laughs> trying to edit my, my language here a little bit, it was immediately written. It was like no, like hours later, our first, uh, our first vote was Team McTeamface. Uh, and... Uh, was the front runner until the very end, Rob. We were uh, the <laughs> at the eleventh hour. The Screaming Eagles, which is a, a local paratrooping group uh, that had a, a significant role on D-Day, and I, I don't want to do the story a disservice by not accurately telling it, but they they hold a lot of value to people in Salt Lake, and there was this big push on all the local sports radio to get that name be. Uh, have it be the Screaming Eagles as opposed to the Team Mimic Team Faces, I would have rocked that merch all day long. But yeah, we are the Screaming Eagles of Salt Lake. We just uh, literally just closed voting on on the logo. And then the plan is we're going to continue to vote. So we're doing mascots and cheerleaders and everything. But where I think the magic comes is having the ability to change the game. So we're building an application that will allow you and I and fans of the Screaming Eagles to call plays in real time. So we want you to actually have a voice when it's fourth and one. Why are we passing it? Uh, you know, for a fourth and goal. Why are we? Th- why are we passing for the win? Right? Like, um, and so that's um, in Seahawks, right? <laughs> I mean, totally, right? And there's not a fan in the world that would have thrown that pass. Nobody. Every fan has never. I don't. I don't know if there's a moment where I've seen fandom just like lose their collective minds uh, in in that moment. So. What we're doing is very, very, if you play, if you're a video gamer, you're familiar with Tech Mobile or Madden, it's going to be a similar user interface where we surface. You have access to the entire book of plays, but we're going to surface four runs, four passes uh, right out of the gate. You can choose any of those. And as you participate in the ecosystem, so if you're voting on, um, you know, scouting, so fans are involved with scouting, they're choosing the head coach, they're choosing uh, who starts. All of these things. So as you participate in the ecosystem, your vote gets weighted more. So everybody gets a vote. It's just an augmented coaching reality, right? I mean, completely. It is very much the intersection of, like, fantasy football, John Madden uh, for the the Xbox, and, um, yeah, and, and, and traditional football. So cool, man. So, uh, so yeah, that's that. Uh, that is the that is the model. We kick off in 2017. Um, you'll be able to choose plays um, and and again, kind of see where this goes. We're incredibly excited about it. We've got some amazing people working with us. Uh, Ray Austin, uh, former Chicago Bear, uh, is one of our co-founders. Saurabh Faroudi, um, Grant Cohen, Andrew Berman, and Vivek Jan are are the other founders here. Uh, and we're very excited to kind of change, like we did at FlipSwap, right? Change the way people relate to wireless and a trade and we really want to change how people relate to sports and interact with with their favorite sports teams and properties so um so yeah that's uh you, you asked what, who's patrick Dees. that's kind of that in a nutshell from uh from from early on so 
Man, what a story. So we're going from chasing down the vacuum cleaner salesman as a teen to, uh, you know, partying in Vegas and deciding how to run a business with Vince Neal of Motley Crue to where you are now. What's the name of the app again, Patrick? Uh, so the app will be will be the franchise app. It's not up yet. So we're in beta and we're, we're still kind of toying with kind of the um, – uh, what the branding is going to be. Ultimately, Screaming Eagles is the team, so a lot the app and that, that ecosystem will be all branded Screaming Eagles. But if you want to check out what we're doing, go to fanchise.se. That's just the word to franchise. Fanchise.se or Project Fanchise, F-A-N-C-H-I-S-E.com. Uh, it's got you know explanation of like our whole timeline when votes are occurring. Chime in for what you think. Um, it'll give you access to kind of the the, uh, the the beta to the app as soon as that um, starts to become available coming into the season. So, yeah, if people are curious, please or feel free to email me at any point. I'm at Patrick Patrick at Fanchai.se, or you can find me at Twitter. I'm at, at P to the D's D E E S. Awesome, man. So great. Let us wind down with a couple of questions just to get a little further into your brain. All right, um, Patrick, do you love to win or hate to lose, and why? Oh man, what a great question. I've heard other people answer this before and I'm always thought like I knew, but then the moment, moment it actually comes out, <laughs> I, it is, man. I, I think I love to win. And I, if I can put a caveat and I think it comes down to, I really love to win, uh, but I love to win with other people, right? Like I think it, for me, it, a win is a win is great. I love that feeling for sure. But it's, uh, I think it comes down to winning with the right people and building out that, that culture. And I think that celebratory moment with a win with the right people around you is, is kind of unparalleled. Awesome, man. Now, I know you run pretty hot, Patrick, but what do you do to wind down after a long or stressful day? Ah, well, if I could plug another podcast, you can find another <laughs> podcast that, uh, that I put on. It's about gaming, so I'm a big gamer. You can find it. I'm on iTunes. It's Pixel by Pixel. It's a video game podcast where, you know, ostensibly we wanted to talk about the renaissance in video game narrative, and it's kind of devolved into uh, our local uh, nonsense but yeah, I, I play games. Um, I think historically I talked a little bit about uh, earlier years in Hollywood uh, and it was going out and living uh, a little crazy. Uh, but I think right now, I'm, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of um, just playing some games uh, when I get an opportunity, right? I think um, there's been, a, like, I, like I said mockingly, a little bit of renaissance in video game narrative. I think games are telling cooler stories uh, than, they, than they ever have before. It's an incredibly neat medium. I'm a technology guy, and that's where you know, kind of technology is that bleeding edge uh, in that. So, gaming. I'm absolutely digging into a part of a different part of your brain as well. Now, uh, last question: Are there any specific influencers that you're following online or otherwise for motivation and inspiration? Oh, interesting. Um, online or otherwise, I think um, you know. I actually am a. I'm a big fan of creators. I know this sounds. Um, a little bit, uh, a little bit ridiculous, but you know, I like, um, the, uh, the guys over at Naughty Dog, I don't know if you're familiar with kind of their, their intellectual properties, but they're, they tell amazing stories, right? Last of us, the uncharted guys. I think they're, um, kind of incredible for, for, for that space. Um, and I think, I think actually most of my inspiration, uh, professionally, um, comes from people in real life. Um, and I, I end up just taking kind of, uh, specific anecdotes. I talked a little bit about David Edmondson and my crush. He told me early on, he said, uh, Patrick, I want you to remember that strategy is what you say no to. And if, and I, I tend to pass that along um, to, to people that I run into because I think – and people listen to this podcast are probably like-minded young entrepreneurs as well. Um, you know, I think we as entrepreneurs have tons of opportunity. There's always something else we can kind of get into. There's always something else that potentially could make us money. But it, it really is about being focused and saying no to the right things. Um, 
and so, yeah, so I would say, I don't know that like online I'm following anybody, but, um, you know, look, look to take different snippets from people that I run into. Especially that man crush, man. <laughs> I know, right? We all have them for sure. Find him, Patrick D's on Twitter, P to the D's. Thank you so much, Patrick, for taking the time to join me today on Bidzy Small Business Society. This has been an absolute blast, man. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, let's do it again soon. Bidzy.com is the website that connects customers and respected local businesses. Customers list goods or services they need, and businesses bid on them. Customers, if you're looking for a service provider or a local professional, go to Bidzy.com and post your projects for free. Businesses, if you're looking for new customers or a way to expand your customer base, sign up for your 30-day free trial today at Bidzy.com. Thank you for joining us today on Bidzy Small Business Society. Go to Bidzy.com for information and resources on how you can grow your business. Support Bidzy Small Business Society by writing a review and giving us a five-star rating in iTunes. Your positive review and five-star rating will allow us to continue bringing you free, valuable content from amazing and inspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners. Rate and review Bidzy Small Business Society today. 